welcome to The Divorce Social with me, Samantha Baines, changing the conversation around divorce. This show is sponsored by Penguin in the Room. Penguin in the Room is an award-winning arts, marketing and social media management company. If you want to jazz up your socials and have someone Instagram and tweet for you, then here's your answer. Go to www.penguinintheroom.com. As always, hit subscribe to make sure you're updated about new episodes. And we love to hear from you on social media at DivorcePod and at Samantha Baines. You can also email us all the infos on our website, thedivorcesocial.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. In our lovely listener interview series, I was joined by Ingrid Birchall Hughes, who is a listener and also a podcaster. She has her own podcast, My Love Letter Time Machine. And it's such an interesting story. During her own divorce, she had these letters that have been handed down through her family, love letters between her great, great grandma and granddad. And the sister um, in these letters, turns out, went through her own divorce 150 years before when it was very, very difficult to get divorced, especially as a woman and a working class woman. And Ingrid kind of discovered this historical divorce story in her family while she was going through her own divorce. So we had an incredibly interesting chat about all the things that she discovered and the impact it had on her own experience. And talking to her actually made me feel lucky that we are able to get divorced, you know, and even though it's incredibly hard and difficult situation to be in and to go through, the fact that we are actually allowed to get divorced and go through that legal system also as a woman you know, I'm I'm allowed to not be a possession of my husband's and I'm allowed to say that I want a divorce and initiate proceedings. And, you know, it reminded me that in many countries in the world, even now, women aren't allowed to do that. So yeah, it was it was really interesting to hear that kind of historical parallel story. So I hope you enjoy this one. I am joined by Ingrid Birchall Hughes, a listener of the podcast and a podcaster herself. Welcome to The Divorce Social. Thank you. It's lovely to be here. (laughs) Yeah. How does it feel me welcoming you to The Divorce Social? A bit emotional, actually, because I've been listening to it on and off for the last year. And um uh, which has been a real godsend at times and been fun at others. And so it's it's bit, it's kind of cool, really. I like it. Cool is the exact place we want to start from <laughs> for the podcast. Yeah. Um, so you are divorced yourself, but you also yeah. have an interesting divorce story because it kind of led to your podcast, but in a different way from leading to my podcast for yeah. me. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, well, I inherited um, the love letters of my great 
great-grandparents. They were courting in the 1880s in Sheffield. They're working-class people, Fred and Janie. And the divorce that I uncovered in the middle of those letters was about Janie's older sister, Emma, my great-great-aunt Emma. And I grew up hearing stories about great-aunt Emma as this slightly scary lady who was a bit of a lush and the theory was that she had gone a bit strange because she could see the gravestones out of a bedroom window. And um, when I was researching the letters, the story that I found out about Emma was actually about her divorce, um, which was incredibly rare at that time. And uh, it was a shocking story. Um, it involved domestic violence. Um, and uh, it was really odd because I was researching it while I was actually going through my own divorce, which was an amicable divorce. It was very sad, but it was an amicable divorce. Um, but we did ours online through the government website. And it was such a strange um, difference between the two experiences. So how did you come across these letters in the first place? Or had you always had them and known about them? I'd always known about them. They've been handed down mother to daughter four times, um, a bit like you might treasure granny's wedding dress um and they'd been a family just a family heirloom um and each generation had looked at them and and cared for them and nobody really knew what to do with them um and uh, so when i was reading them i suddenly noticed that they're quite sparky these two and um uh they talked a lot about their courtship their sex life um that was a bit racy um they did not wait <laughs> Um, and uh, it was really, it was a really cool thing to to read. And I thought, well, this story needs to be told. And um, it's a conversation between these two people. And I think a lot of podcasts obviously are at their heart, a conversation. Although this conversation was taking place 140 years ago and across a distance of 100 miles, um, because although they were in Sheffield originally, Fred moved to Middlesbrough in the north to do some work. And so bringing that to a podcast actually worked way better than I could have expected. I love this. I love that they talked about their sex life. It's like really slow, original sexting. Like, uh, yeah, <laughs> you have to wait for the letter to arrive until you can get aroused again. <laughs> they um they had astonishing euphemisms Victorian it was like Victorian sexting if you like Victorian euphemisms um and I won't ever be able to look a moss rose in the face again let's put it that way oh wow what did that represent <laughs> the vulva uh yes the the, the lady garden yeah <laughs> lovely um so I, I just want to picture the scene so when you read them for the first time how old were you where were you I'm imagining like in your bedroom, reading them under the covers. I think over the last few years, you know, 10, 20 years, I've been dipping into them, but never really concentrated on them. And so um, I just sat with them as in a heap by my uh, beside me uh, about five years ago. I just started to read them. And then I thought, well, while I'm reading them, I should probably be transcribing them. So I started typing them as I was reading them. Um, I, I dictated it a lot at a time um, rather than typing so I could concentrating on the reading. And um, so, yeah, it was just it was just in the house. It wasn't under the duvet. <laughs> they're very fragile. They're falling to bits, really. So I was trying to not drink coffee near them or anything. It's very rare, apparently, to have both sides of the correspondence. So I was aware that they're special. Do you, And did you read them in order? Or did you read all of one side first and all of the other side afterwards? I started to read the different sides and then I thought, actually, no, I want to I want to interleave them. So when I quite quickly, I quite quickly started to interleave them to try and get the sense of the conversation. Was this reading happening during your divorce proceedings or had you not got there yet with your own divorce? It was happening while I was aware that the relationship was coming to an end. And I recognize um, that in some ways, the project that has become such a passion project, and I think it's been my escape from all the sadness and difficulties that I was experiencing. 
and there was the you know with the background of Emma's story coming up obviously but the primary thing was these two very young people having fallen in love and in the face of family objection at the beginning um decided that they were each other's choice and um were moving what heaven and earth they could to be together and um perhaps i was looking in those letters not just for an example of a honest intimate relationship i mean intimacy in the heartfelt way not the physical way necessarily although that was obviously there but also um my family's a bit scattered so i think i was looking for a deeper family connection as well it's so interesting that you were going through something yourself and you were sort of seeking out love an example yeah. of love yeah. and also yeah. an example of that kind of family support and unit but through letters yes well my my mum and father are also divorced um so i grew up, i spent a long my teens certainly not with um to both parents and um i think seeing a couple my four as forebears seeing that relationship was something that i think I was looking for as an adult. I'd not witnessed that as an adult. And it was directly, you know, I am their descendant. So it was, there was something, I don't think I've yet processed that still. I think I'm still processing that. And before you went into your divorce and before you obviously researched your Emma's divorce, you say your parents were divorced. What sort of impression of divorce did you have before you went into it yourself? That it was painful and acrimonious um, and uh, a choice where you have to save yourself or in, I think, my mum's case, perhaps saving herself and her kids as well. So um, I think my feelings about divorce were scary, definitely. Um, a, lot, a last resort, which I think is true for a lot of people, so... And then going into that yourself, that last resort, mm. Mm. how did that feel and did your ideas of it change? I think I wasn't prepared for the grief. Um, I think I remember in your podcast with is it Desiree Birch, mm -hmm. oh, actually, and the last one you did that I'm, as we're recording, I can't remember her name, I'm sorry, the conversations you've had talked about, that loneliness you have, when you're with someone and it's more lonely than you've ever been that loneliness you get when it's you know being alone loneliness it doesn't compare in some way it's it's so painful so i think my experiences were not um didn't match up i think my expectations didn't match up to the truth of it yeah i think loneliness is such a such an interesting subject isn't it because we talk about it a lot with you know, an older generation who might physically be alone in their houses and have no one to talk to. And a lot of the time we view loneliness as that kind of physical alonement, whereas actually you can feel so lonely in a room full of people, you know, and I'm I'm deaf and I talk about my deafness on the podcast as well. And <laughs> and even even that in a social scenario where I suddenly feel I can feel very alone because I'm not following a conversation because I'm not able to lip read or, you know, so all of a sudden it feels like everyone's in on something and I'm not. And you can feel so alone in that scenario as well as in a marriage, which is meant to be this wonderful unit and security we might imagine and all of these things. And then actually you can, from the outside, people might assume or, or or look for that as something to aspire to. And, mm -hmm. and actually you're feeling incredibly lonely within that. Mm. Um, yes. Actually, interesting, my sister is deaf. I've grown up with a deaf younger sister. So I've observed that deeply over the years. Um, and I can see how that relates. Yes, and as such a good analogy. Um, because you're looking for connection. And when there are barriers to connection, it just puts you in such a different place. Obviously, your, your relationship, you're hoping for connection. And when that connection goes, it's devastating because you don't know how to remake it. 
You don't know how to. It requires both of you to make the effort to make that connection, just as the same way that if someone has um, a hearing problem, they need other people also to respond to that, to help preserve those connections. I mean, I know that I've been a bit of an interlocutor with my sister I was growing up and, you know, requires everyone to make sure you're maintaining those connections. It's give and take. And the same way in a relationship, you need that give and take. You need that both of you working towards maintaining that connection. And if any one of you is sticking your effort in, doesn't matter how hard you are trying, um, it's not actually going to work unless the other person is meeting you there. That's so true. It's connection. Loneliness is a lack of connection, whether it's physical connection or an emotional one, or even just someone making eye contact with me or facing me for lip reading. Yes. And how does it feel, do you think, for you when, you know, you're in a marriage and you're not feeling that connection and then you get divorced and you still don't have that connection, but now you don't have the physical connection either? Um, there's that relief that you're no longer feeling excluded. Um, I got divorced during lockdown, which wasn't possibly the greatest time to get divorced um, because there was a lack of being able to be with other people while you're going through that one as well. So I, I'm sure that those of us who got divorced during lockdown experienced a slightly different comparison there. Um, as I said before, I was unex the grief was unexpected and I was not expecting the grief to be quite so physical. You could be just minding your own business, making your breakfast or something. And then boof, it just like someone shoved you between the shoulder blades and it's like, you're alone. You're not loved. You're not with somebody, you know, you're, this is just it now. This is you. Grief can be so physical, can't it? I don't think I ever, you know, that soap thing of like when people like cry in the shower or they physically kind of fall to their knees. I'd never really understood that until I got divorced and my dad died around a similar time. Oh, and I found gosh. and I found myself doing that. And I was like, oh, wow, this is a real, this isn't a dramatic <laughs> trope that we see in in soaps like you grief can actually make you fall to your knees and it's not a nice realization but it was quite an ironic one I feel at the time being an actor and being like oh yeah actually this this is a real thing so remember this for the future <laughs> so you said obviously you got divorced during lockdown which is the ultimate lack of connection time um, and also that you did your divorce online. Mm -hmm. So it was the click of a button. And so you didn't even have the kind of solicitor giving you a call or emailing you. What was that experience like? We did have to recourse to the solicitor for one piece of the divorce, which was the division of the pension order, which requires to go through the courts. But everything else we had um, gone online. Um, we emailed each other. Um, we went through the whole process on the government.org website, um, supplied the documentation, paid the 500 and something pounds, um, did all the check boxes, and that we got our nice eye through. Um, and we were just waiting for the court order, as I said, for the, for the pension. Um, it required us to talk to each other a couple of times. Um, my ex was very reasonable. Um, it was very sad. It doesn't mean we didn't like, you know, end up crying going to the end of it because we both knew that the relationship had ended and um, we'd been through counselling and all sorts of things. It wasn't like we just woke up one morning and said, oh, let's get divorced. You know, there's a whole back story of attrition and falling apart and all the rest of it, like most people have. Um, so it was such an anticlimax in a way when it when it all went through. And then after the court order finally sorted out the pension, um, because it's just been sitting there and sitting there waiting for this last bit to be signed off by some judge in Bristol somewhere. Um, my ex went, OK, I'll go and put that last bit up and let you know how we get on. And we both thought that it might be a couple of weeks, it might be six weeks or something like that 
10 minutes later, an email drops into my email box directly from gov.org. Absolute. Udeforst. Done. And it was just like, huh? 10 minutes? <laughs> what? Um, and then uh, my ex actually emailed me at that point and said, I can't believe it took 10 minutes. I was like, neither can I. And my ex said, I can't stop crying. And I said, I can't either. And then I think we spoke to each other for a few weeks after that. But it was just, um, it was weird. And so what was, what was the physical reaction? Because we, you know, mentioned physical reactions to seeing that email 10 minutes later. It was like someone had dumped a bucket of water over my head. It's just, it was unbelievable. I don't know if I can adequately explain. I mean, you're fit, you were physically holding your heart space when you said that to me as well. Yeah. 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 I've spoken recently on the podcast about that moment when you get that email and how anticlimactic and like almost rude it feels. Yeah. Yeah. Officious cold. Yeah. I didn't get one from, uh, I got one from my solicitor. So I'm interested, and the solicitor email, it was very difficult to tell whether this was the final, like, am I divorced? Because it doesn't say you are divorced. It 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 says, like, see attachment. And then in the attachment, you have to, like, read through all the things. So what's the the email from the gov.uk website like? Oh, I wish I'd, I should have pulled that up and read it before I spoke <laughs> to you. I, didn't, I should have thought of that. I'm sorry. Um, no, why would you think of that? <laughs> like, please read all your government emails before you come on the podcast. <laughs> if I remember correctly, I believe there was also an attachment and it had the attachment of the absolute on there. But do you remember whether it said you are divorced in the body of the email? I'm afraid I don't. I might. I don't believe I don't believe it did say that. Actually, I'd have to check. But everything it just said, you know that this has completed the process or something like that. And then the attachment and then the attachment is your decree absolute and signed in the date and the people on there. So do you think, because I'm, I'm like, I want to like revolutionize. <laughs> um, I don't know if it's a revolution change. I want to change the way we get these emails because it feels so cold, as you said, rude. And also it's hard to work out. I would prefer it. I don't know about you. So I'm trying to gather information before my revolution, but I would prefer it to say you are divorced. Yeah. I think they should um, also manage your expectations about it because you're not really sure what you're going to get next or somebody, someone have, at least have a crib sheet somewhere saying that once this happens, this will happen. Then you'll get an email, and then and then at that point you will be divorced, you know. And then you know what to expect when it comes through. And then for the email to say, "Here is your divorce information," you know, or "Here is your your divorce." Yeah, maybe yeah. Just be honest. I mean, you're like, I'm very sorry somebody has died. I'm very sorry you're divorced now. It should probably be at that level. Yeah, I don't know if I'd want it to say sorry though, because I felt quite. I was like. I want it to be over. I sort of wanted it to have like a celebration emoji, you know, the hat with the like confetti coming out. But I realized <laughs> that wouldn't be right for everyone. But yeah, I think at least just the words you are divorced. So it's super clear. Yeah. Would be useful. It's done. It is done. Yeah. It is finished. <laughs> Congratulations, you finished. <laughs> would be great because. You know, whether you're happy about getting divorced or not, the paperwork is still... Yeah, the paperwork, it's all done. Yeah, we're out of your hair now. We don't need any more intrusive questions. Yeah. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. 
For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Ding dong, it's the ad break. This podcast is sponsored by Penguin in the Room, an award-winning company that can manage your business's social media. They even manage our podcast, Instagram and Twitter. Just email info at penguinintheroom.com for a quote. Also, if you'd like to support the podcast, you can by buying merchandise from our website, www.thedivorcesocial.com. Ding dong. So at this time when, you know, all this is going on and then you've got the letters in the back of your mind... When when did the process start when you started researching Emma's journey, who wasn't one of the people writing the letters, but this divorce story? In Janie's letters, she confides in Fred to how much she's struggling with Emma's drinking problem. Now, Janie and Emma grew up in a pub. Her parents ran the cross keys in Hansworth, just outside Sheffield. So I imagine helping someone with a drinking problem in that environment is quite challenging. And um, there was one letter where Fred and Janie are getting excited because Fred's coming back to visit and they're getting ready to see each other and they're all full of like, I can't wait to see you. And um, the next letter from Janie is, oh, Fred, I've just come home and Emma was passed out in the parlour having sunk a porter bottle of brandy Um, She was completely unconscious and my father was sat in the chair next to her crying like a child after all he has done for her. And I was like, what's he done for her? What is the the image of of my then three times great grandfather crying because his daughter's just this disaster piece on the floor, bless her heart. It's like, what, what is going on? Why is this happening? So then I started researching Emma. Um, to see if there was anything beyond what was on the census. Um, and um, I hit upon doing some name searches in the British newspaper archive. And Emma had been married to a chap called John George Herod, which is a amazing name. It's a unique name um, and very searchable. And blow me, all these newspaper reports turned up about this chap called John George Herod, who had been arrested by going by the name of Arthur Walton um, in Southport for stealing jewellery from a hotel. And he was supposedly engaged to this lass he'd got pregnant, but in the process of the courts turned out he was married to somebody in Sheffield with three children turned out to be Emma Um, and realising that these things were connected and then worked out that what had happened is that John George Herod had abandoned Emma 
abandoned her and gone to steal some jewellery, got someone else pregnant and tried to marry her. Yeah, yeah, uh, but was arrested, you know, come to rights, bang to rights. And um, it turned out that he'd been um, abusive towards her. Um, and after she'd been abandoned, presumably they just didn't know what to do. And because she was um, up until the 1882 uh, Marriage Property Act, Women's Marriage Property Act, um, you were your husband's property. You didn't, you couldn't sue anybody. You couldn't write a will. You didn't own the money in your hands. You didn't own the clothes on your back. Nothing belonged to you and you belonged to him utterly. Um, and I think the family wanted to protect her. So once he got arrested and convicted to a year's hard labor in Liverpool prison, Emma's father knew exactly where he was. And he used to be a constable, so he was connected. Um, and there's this amazing falling of the pieces into place where you suddenly realise that there must have been a morning where John George Herod was woken up at the police in his police cell, hauled down to the governor's office, where there would have been the original arresting officer for his crime, the brother-in-law, William Warburton, and a solicitor holding brandishing divorce papers and his so-called fiance, presumably crying a heart blesser, standing there because they all had to be witnessed. They all had to be physically present in order for this legal process to happen because they knew where he was and they could and they could serve him with the divorce papers. And that then went into the newspapers. So the, new the divorce then got followed through the newspapers. Um, Janie and William, Emma's brother and sister, Janie is my great-great-grandmother, as I said, they had to accompany Emma all the way down to Westminster because um, at that time you still had to go through um, Parliament to get the divorce proceedings to happen. And it was presided over by a judge called, I think his name was James Hannan at the time. You had to go through Parliament? Yeah, they had a hall. Next to Westminster Hall, there was an office especially for divorces, but it had to have House of Commons procedure to go through. It didn't have to go, it didn't have to go right through the house, the actual House of Commons, but it had to go through a judicial process at the House of Commons. And so they had to go to Westminster, yes. And at that time, apparently there were less than 400 divorces a year. And most of those would have been men divorcing women. And most of those would have been people with money. So to have a working class family rock up at Westminster to get a divorce was pretty unique. It just sounds like the first like celebrity divorce. Like it's all in the papers, everyone's following it. Yeah, it was it was bonkers to, to find all this information. I think the fact that he'd been a jewellery thief kind of elevated the whole process, you know, um, because that's great column inches, jewellery thief gets divorced, whoa. Um, and... Yeah, so they had to take all the witnesses. They had to prove. Now, this is very strange because in the paperwork, they had to prove that she'd been abandoned. They had to prove that she'd been abused. And they had to prove that he'd committed um, infidelity. And in order to do that, um, they had the arresting officer turn up, say, yes, we, we convicted him. He's in the prison there. Yeah, he abandoned him. Blah, blah, blah. Um, they had to bring poor Eliza, who was the last that got pregnant, down to the courts as well to, so that she could swear that she'd not only had a relationship with him, that she'd had a baby as well. I, can't, I don't feel for Eliza. I don't know much about her. I should probably find some more. Janie was there to because she'd witnessed the abuse. She'd witnessed... It wasn't just a clip around the, clip around the ear. Um, one of the things that was described is that he fetched her a blow so hard on the back of the head she had two great bruised eyes. And I often wonder from a blow like that whether she'd actually sustained some damage because that sounds horrible. That sounds like an incredibly injurious thing to experience. So they all had to rock up at the courts and then say their piece. And I mean, you said it wasn't just a clip around the ear, but even that is too much. No, exactly. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to diminish that because yeah. you're quite right. What I was trying to explain was... Um, at the time, there was it was a fallacy, but people believed that it was okay for a husband to discipline his wife with a stick no thick, thicker than your thumb, 
they thought that was legal. It wasn't, but they thought that was legal. Um, and that for a husband to reprimand his wife physically wasn't seen as anything at all to worry about. Obviously, now we take, obviously, we know that's not the case now. So for the court to consider the abuse that Emma had experienced was sufficient to divorce had to have been severe. And I mean, listening to all this, I don't know what effect it had on you, but it makes me feel really lucky to be able to get divorced now in the even though it was so painful and everything the fact that I was able to do it without going through all of that that's why I said that the contrast of the challenge that Emma had to get divorced and the fact that her family rallied around her and that her father sold a property to pay for it because in today's money it would have cost around the 15,000 pound mark um, and he basically ruined himself so that she could be free. Good dad. I mean, good dad. Absolutely. God. Um, and then, and we just like stumped up because we were able to talk to each other. We didn't have to recourse too much to solicitors. We were able to do it all online and yeah. And the fact that I wasn't considered my ex's property or anything like that. Yeah. It was just, it's, it's really sobering actually, the reality of it, that that was a lived reality and it really brought it home to me. We know that women didn't have any rights then, but to see the reality of it was just like, it would just hit you. And also someone you're related to. Yeah. That makes it feel, you know, I love those programmes where they get a celebrity and then they research their history. And then a lot of the time they really feel it because you're like, oh my God, this is someone in my family. And it's 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 true, isn't it? When you feel it, that proof of a relation, like this is someone connected to me going through yeah. this. It's not yeah. just a historical story. No, absolutely. So, but where were you in your divorce journey when you started researching all of this. Were you already divorced or were you going through? I was going through it. Wow. And the really odd thing is interesting how stuff gets baked into our systems. The language that was used, there was something in the documentation of Emma's divorce that was listed in order for reasons of divorce had to be cited, abandonment, um, adultery and cruelty. And when you go online to state your reasons for divorcing, we went on to the two, we did basically the two year separation thing. So good tick box, a lot of it. But the the reasons for it, they're still there in very, very similar wording from 140 years ago is right there on the form. And that was like, what? we don't change, we don't change stuff much. We don't, you know, that, that due process has, has sat there with its fingerprint all that time. Mm. And that was quite shocking. I mean, divorce proceedings have been changed, but that was only in April 2022. So it it, it was still that wording for, yeah, nearly 200 yes, years. Yes, of course, you're quite right. I'd forgotten about that. It, <laughs> I just, because it makes me feel lucky for for the way I got divorced, even though it was incredibly hard. But when you were going through finding all of that out in the middle of your own divorce, did it help or did you, were you living out your grief through, through Emma? I felt lucky, truly lucky. Um, and I think it quite corrected me of any fantasies I might've had about, I oh, wouldn't have been lovely to live in this era or that era. No, no. Best time for the, you know, now for women is now. And hopefully we'll get even better, but you don't want to go back. Um, so, yeah, a, a true gratefulness um, and a desperate sadness for Emma to think that that's what she'd gone through. And, yeah, I feel like our divorce processes are still not where they should be and work still needs to be done. I think that you know, consent is something that really needs to be looked at in all walks of life. But I think we need to bring it into our legal processes as well. Um, and the fact that Emma didn't even 
live under a concept where women had consent was really shocking for all kinds of things. So um, it was uh, sobering. It was a sobering contrast. I think in some ways it helped me. Um, as I said, I still think it could be better, but I think perhaps I walked through my own divorce process feeling stronger and more empowered because I knew I was stronger and more empowered because I'd had such a visceral example of what it was like not to be, um, which I might only be truly reflecting as we have this conversation. Yeah. And, you know, now you've done all this research into Emma and you're through your own divorce. Do you look at those letters that have been handed down through your family differently? They're more precious. Um, and I think through the process of doing the research and actually doing the podcast, um, I've, I've called it my love letter time machine for a reason, because I feel like when I relate those letters, when I do, I've had to do extra research in order to tell their story, in order to preserve the continuity, in order to not leave listeners behind. Um, and it's pulled me even deeper into them. And I really do feel like I spend a chunk of my week um, in, in the past, like a TARDIS, like a time machine. Um, and um, it's quite profound. And I know that I'm coming, I'm like, I'm two thirds of three quarters of the way through the letters. Um, I'm in the penultimate season of the podcast, I think, in terms of telling their story. And I know when I eventually get to the end of it, I'm going to be so sad because I won't be visiting the past that intensely anymore. And my, I recognize it's been an escape. It's been a journey I've been able to go on in a different country, if you like away sometimes as a respite from the challenges I've had building my own life anew. So I think I'm probably going to have a little bit of secondary grief or a different kind of grief when I get to the end of it. I'm going to have to say goodbye to them um, in that kind of way. Um, so, yeah, it's been interesting. It is interesting when you think about recording that final episode because you've come to the end of the letters and you're at the end of your research how does that idea make you feel of ending it really sad proud I I feel like I've preserved them forever in a kind of way I've brought them back to life I've got people all over the world writing to me about how much they love them and when something happens like they're so cross with Emma or they're so cross with somebody else for behaving in such a terrible way or does Fred have to get like that with Jamie or um, Jane, and Fred, Fred does things like he records um, Janie's periods in his diary, <laughs> which is not how we think of the Victorians. Um, and uh, he, they're always like wondering whether or not she's pregnant from the last visit or whatever. Um, and, and I've got people saying, you know, come on, Fred, a woman knows usually when she's going to have a period. She does. Like, is it this week, darling? Or is it next week? It's like, shouldn't you've come on? You know, shouldn't I think the phrase was come off yet? Shouldn't it have come off last Sunday? He's so specific and everybody gets a bit annoyed with him. He's like, just let it go, Fred. So you get all sorts of people who are really interested and attached to them. I don't feel like they're my great great grandparents anymore. I think that it feels like they're other people's great great grandparents. They belong to so many people now. And I feel really proud that um I've, you know, opened up this story to have like two working class people chatting to each other about their concerns, um, which can be anything from details of, you know, having a competition with his brother about who's got the heaviest pig or. Um, as you do. You know, as you'd like you do, like you do. <laughs> so, yeah. So you've, you've basically created your own sort of divorce support community. <laughs> through the podcast and the letters yeah I've not been explicit about my divorce actually in the podcast but yeah absolutely yeah I can take yeah I'll take that one I'll take that <laughs> all communities are good communities I think. yeah 
Um, and that's interesting that you haven't been explicit about your divorce on the podcast. Why do you think that is? I think it's a genuine shyness about I'm learning more and more. Actually, I did have a very extraordinary experience about another personal experience that I did share online with it. I think we hit Emma's divorce in the first season. So I was still learning to podcast. I was still learning what played as personal sharing, what didn't, all that kind of thing. I was too shy. Um, and as we go, one of the the other thing that happened to me during this time was I got diagnosed with trigeminal neuralgia, which is a painful facial nerve condition. And um, it's quite debilitating. And later on through the letters, Seatland uh, last season, when I was sharing the stories, I was it, it forces you to reread again. Like and I totally missed this detail about Fred talking about this pain that he'd been getting, and he thought it was toothache. You know where this is going, don't you? Um, and Janie says, "You sure it's the toothache and not the tick?" And he says, "You know what? I think it might be the tick." I'm like, what the flips the tick? Um, and I tried to research it and I couldn't find it. And I went online onto Twitter and I was like, does anybody have any idea what tick could be at this point? Blah, 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 you know, as a painful condition. And a pain researcher, neurology neurologist from Canada, I think it was, piped up and said, could it be tick della rosa? It's now known as um, trigeminal neuralgia. Here is a document from 1850 something talking about the treatment of tick dolorosa and like wow okay now we know that my grandmother who is like there's my grandmother the between fred's granddaughter my grandmother is the same person so they be descent so the descendant between us my mother remembers as a child that she used to complain of neuralgia in her face and then it was like uh, oh 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 right Okay, so I've inherited this bit of DNA from Fred. Cheers, Fred. Could have done with that one, though, without that one. But wow, that's it's like it feels like these letters have been like gifted to you for this time in your life and for all these like realizations and journeys you're going on. I wasn't expecting that depth of self discovery through the process obviously I'm curious as do I take after him a bit do I take after her a bit and we've all had family the family the whole family have had conversations of like oh I think you might have Fred's nose or I think you might or you know my nephew looks a bit like Fred or whatever um but then just not expecting the depth of um the connection I'm quite an airhead I'm quite an absent-minded person and it was just so amazing to run into a piece of description where Fred has gone for a walk on the sands at Saltburn after work. And he got so caught up that afternoon on how beautiful it was. I think one of the lines he used was, it was so, it was something along the lines of, if you had been here, it would have been an Eden. Just like, oh, wow. And he got so caught up and daydreamy about the whole thing. He said he suddenly realised the tide had come in and it started to cut him off. Um, and he had to take off his uh, stockings and shoes and wade through back through the water to get to sand. And then he missed his train. And when I've shared that story with people, so many people who know me went, it's just you, isn't it? That's exactly what you would do. <laughs> and, and so, yeah, I've run into these things quite a lot. It's really interesting as well because it's making me think of of community and support and quite often if we don't have family or friends living really close to us or with you know with reachable distance or in the same country we might feel quite isolated at times but the fact that you can find all of these similarities to people who are no longer alive because they're from a different generation through letters it does really remind me that you know, connection doesn't just have to be because my friend lives around the corner and comes over and sits with me for a cup of tea. You know, mm -hmm. connection can be found in so many different ways. And I'm an author as well, and I write books. And yeah. for me, books have always been a huge connection. And I think that's a really joyous thing about these letters of that mm -hmm. you found this connection to this person that you can't speak to because they're not around anymore. No. But there's so much in, in these letters and in their story. 
that you can relate to, which is lovely. Um, so obviously you've created the podcast to go with the letters. If you were to hand down these letters now, how would you would you do it in a different way to how they were handed down to you? Would you have press clippings and things from Emma's story with them or would you put it with the podcast or would you introduce them in a slightly different way? That's such a good question. I, I have so many things to that I want to do with them. Um, the more I do their story, I realise how fantastic a story it is and I'm a writer um, and I keep wondering whether or not I should, you know, turn them into a book or novelise them Absolutely. That's yeah. all oh, I've bless. been thinking throughout. <laughs> I was like, this has to be a book, surely. And the other thing I was thinking was I would love, I mean, I've, I've been doing the back and forth. I've been doing the sound effects. I've been doing the music. I've been trying to give this as much production value as I can to sort of get the flow of the story. Um, so I think it's more like, it reads a bit more like an audiobook in lots of ways. But the more I go into it, because they were both from Sheffield and they would have had, you know, I was the first person to be born outside Sheffield in my family. So all the older generation have all got beautiful Yorkshire accents and, I would love to get them voiced. So try and create a conversation with the letters and get them voiced with um, those beautiful accents. Um, and um, I think the actual physical letters, I have spoken to my nephew who's 17 and I said, by rights, they should go to you after me because I haven't had children. Um, and he was like, well, are you sure? Because perhaps they should be in a museum. So at the moment, we're dithering as to whether they should continue to be passed down the family or whether or not I should say offer them to the Sheffield archives or the Teesside archives, something like that, that once I finish with them, perhaps they should then be available for everybody. Because I think it's a piece of social history and the fact that they are both sides of a correspondence of working class people. And of course, one of them is of a working class woman's voice, which we just don't get to hear very often at all. Um, I'm aware that on that level, they're quite precious and that maybe I should do the honourable thing and give them to the nation in that way, if you like. Well, as long as they treat them properly, wherever you send them to yes. and display yes. them, don't put them in a box somewhere. No, I'm not ready to let them go right now. Yeah. But I, I do want to share the story and I think, you know, people are responding to it, so... So obviously this is quite a unique divorce story. Um, not everyone has let, no. <laughs> handed down letters to go through while they're going through their divorce. But what do you think it is about this process of finding the letters and researching it and doing the podcast? What impact has it had on your own divorce and your own kind of emotional journey? I had that sense that... In my darkest time, I was not expecting to be thrown a lifeline from my family from 140 years ago. And that this is going to sound a little bit woo, but I feel like the love that Fred and Janie had has somehow perpetuated through the ages, is still existing in some way. Um, and I love the idea that that's almost palpable. I'm not at all imagining that they love me. They wouldn't even have considered me. I'm like their great, great granddaughter. There's no way they could have, they might have thought briefly about having a great grandchild, but I'm not sure they would have given much thought to anybody beyond that. Um, but I think if they had known after Fred had got cross for me, I think Fred, Fred would be cross with me. I think Janie would be quite pleased, but I think Fred would be cross with me. After I got over that, I think they might be quite proud. I know my mum my mom is proud. She keeps sharing it online and everything. She's she's just so pleased with it. And and um because these are her great grandparents, obviously. Um and um I feel that they've given me back a bit of the self-respect that loss of status you sometimes feel. I feel like I lost status when I became single again. That was no longer part of a couple that I'm now like, not exactly the maiden aunt, but I'm at an adjunct, you know, to the side of the family in a way that I wasn't before. I think 
there's a kind of a loss of status. Don't get me wrong, my family are lovely and love me and we get on great. And it, But it's, you do feel that strange shift of status that you're no longer in a couple. Um, and I've had to do some work around the fact that I have status regardless of who I'm with, you know. I think the letters reminded me that I can create things, that I can write, that, um, and they gave me a new skill. I'm a podcaster now, and that's just like, well, I totally, I didn't know that was going to happen because um, <laughs> <laughs> I was searching so much for a vehicle for how to tell their story, um, and it and it works so well. So I feel like it's given me new skills. I think it's given me self-respect. Um, and uh, I'm really grateful that this happened. It feels very um, lucky. That's so nice. I love that. Oh, <laughs> cute. And I, I love that for you and your journey. And if anyone's listening and obviously doesn't have their own letters. Well, yeah. Do you have any advice for you know, all these feelings and skills that you've learned. Do you have any advice for other people of of how to have a similar, perhaps, or slightly similar? I would say go back to what gave you joy before you lost track of it. The things that we let, I think we let go a lot of stuff when we're in relationships. We forget, I've, I stopped playing the piano, for instance, and I started playing the piano again. Um, and I think if you've got things, you're bound to, if you've gone through a divorce, I should imagine there will be things like that littered in your background that you dropped because there wasn't time or you weren't being nurtured or you didn't have time to nurture yourself because you were so taken up in the drama of what was going on around with you. Um, and to go back to the things that used to give you joy and reacquaint yourself with them and um, play the piano again, pick up your watercolour set, go and join the choir, go and play netball again like you gave up. Whatever it is that um, you dropped, go and pick it up. See where it takes you. Great advice. <laughs> Thank you so much. It's been a pleasure to chat. Can you remind us of the name of your podcast and where we can find it? Yes, it's My Love Letter Time Machine. And thank you so much for having me. I really, really enjoyed it. And it's been really special. Yeah, thank you. I'm immediately going to go and listen to all the episodes of your podcast. <laughs> and I want to see pictures of everyone as well. Well, also, if you go onto My Love Letter Time Machine, or one word on Instagram, you will find pictures, excerpts, little reels that I've just learned how to do. You can just dip into the little bits that interest you. If you don't want to listen to a whole episode, you can still find bits of their story there. Amazing. Well, thank you. Oh, thank you. Thank you so much. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Oh, hi. Thank you for listening to The Divorce Social with me, Samantha Baines. Please leave us a review. Please, please. Um, it would be super nice. They're lovely to read. They keep me cheery and happy and 
keep me going. Uh, but also it affects our listing in the podcast charts, uh, which are very important because that's how more people find the podcast. And I'd love to help more people get through those really tough heartbreak and divorce times. And they're more likely to find us if we're higher up on the charts. So if you'd like to leave a review, I'd love you forever. You can leave them on iTunes is the big one or most podcast platforms do them as well. I'll take all the reviews you've got to give. You can also uh, get in contact on Twitter and Instagram at DivorcePod and at Samantha Baines. We have a website, thedivorcesocial.com and we have a Patreon account, which means that you can support the podcast for as little as £2 a month and it helps me with all the admin costs. It also means you have access to our 90 style divorce and heartbreak chat room and there's lots of exclusives on there, little bits of audio that you don't get in the main podcast and some giveaways as well. So I'd love to see you over on Patreon. That's patreon.com forward slash Samantha Baines and please leave a review. Did I say that already? Please leave a review. Love you forever.